Euzu billahi mineşşeytanirracim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi rabbil alamin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecmaîn. Allahumme allimna ma yanfa'una ve anfa'na bima 'allamtana ve zidna ilmen nafi'ah. Allahumme erinal hakka hakkan ve erzukna ittiba'ah. وَأَرِنَلْ بَاطُلَ بَاطُلًا وَأَرْزُقْنَا اِجْتِنَابًا رَبِّ اِشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي اَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْاُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Reflections on the Risale-i Nur by Bedi-Uzzaman Said Nursi podcast series. This is Mustafa Tuna. You can listen to the episodes of this series wherever you get your podcasts or at the website www.reflections-rn.org as you can see on the uh, screen. In this episode, um, we will do something new. We are going to record uh, the episode as a, as a video. Those who have been following this podcast will remember that we have been together for more than three years. And this podcast has been an audio podcast from the beginning. Inshallah, I would like to carry it to the next level and provide some uh, audiovisual uh, material uh, about the Risale in Nur and Bedu Zaman Said Nursi. Um, the idea will be the same, inshallah. We will read the works of Bedu Zaman Said Nursi and reflect upon them. Uh, however, you know, one different thing will be that you will be able to watch it and see what I'm reading on the uh, screen. And uh, we will see how it goes, inshallah. This will be the first video. I still <laughs> am dealing uh, with technology here and there. Uh, so it may not be perfect, but you know, perfection belongs to God, uh, subhanallah. Uh, and we are all, you know, impotent, weak individuals who are trying our best and we'll see you know what comes out of this inshallah so um normally we should be reading the 21st we should be continuing uh, the, the 21st word but uh, since this is the first uh, video I, I wanted to do what i did with the audio podcasts and start with um and a reflection on the life story and thoughts of Bedu Zaman Said Nursi uh, more broadly. So that that's what we will be, we will be doing in this episode, inshallah. Uh, we will try to learn about the life of Bedu Zaman. So, Bismillah. Bedu Zaman Said Nursi, eighteen seventy-eight to nineteen sixty, or according to the uh, Islamic lunar calendar or Hijri calendar, 1295 to 1379. Or Ustad Nursi, as his followers refer to him, was a great scholar, thinker, Gnostic, and saint of the 14th century of the Islamic calendar. Now, uh, for those who want to take a look at Ustad Nursi's uh, life at a more academic level, uh, his exact uh, birth date is not known. We don't know. Uh, we know that it was uh, during the Russo-Ottoman War, uh, which took place 1876 to 1878. Uh, it's most likely 1878. That's why why I put the number uh, here. It it may have been 1877 too. That's um, that's also a strong possibility. 
but we know that he died in 1960, March 23rd, 1960, or uh, Laylatul Qadr, the 27th night of the month of Ramadan in 1960. According to the lunar Islamic calendar, his birth date is 1295 uh, uh, to 1379. And as you can see that there's five years in the 13th century, but primarily he lived in the 14th century of the Islamic calendar. His name is, the, the, his given name was Said. Uh, the, the name Bedu'uz-Zaman was an alias that he literally earned uh, later in his life. Uh, it means the marvel of the time or the wonder of the time. And uh, this was, this alias was given to him because of his you know, photographic memory and sharp intellect and deep scholarship, uh, his ability to provide really convincing uh, answers to difficult questions and so on and so forth. We'll talk more about that, inshallah. Uh, Nursi is his last name, and that's the last name that he had taken later in the Republican period. As you can see, he was born during the Ottoman uh, period and later in the Republican period when they passed a uh, law on the last names, uh, surnames. He um, took the last name Nursi uh, in reference to his village. His, his, the village he was born was called Nurs. Uh, so his name became Nursi in reference to the village. Um, he was a great scholar. He had studied the madrasa curriculum, not only studied, but also memorized most of the books of the madrasa curriculum uh, by his by his mid-teens and then he continued to study at that you know same uh, extraordinary pace throughout his life uh, or at least until his you know mid-40s uh, reading all the time studying memorizing books he memorized a really important and large dictionary up to the to the letter scene um, He had a very sharp mind, therefore he was able to connect the dots and come up with really um, innovative answers to difficult questions that people faced, Muslims faced around him, right? So one, one example for this uh, is, for instance, um, at some point he was in Istanbul and he was appointed to this Institute, Darul Hikmet al-Islamiyya, the house of the wisdom of Islam. We will talk about it in more detail, inshallah. So one day he is uh, you know, going to the, the office and he notices a couple, a young woman and a young man, and they are crying like they're destitute. So he approaches them and asks them, like, what's the problem? And they tell him that they, they, they made a mistake and uh, ended up uh, divorcing but they don't want to be divorced. And the story goes that the man uh, asks his wife to come by him and the wife says, no, I'll pray and then come. And the man, it seems was an obstinate man, <laughs> you know, a gruff person, or I don't know what the, ex you know, we don't know what the exact story is, but the man tells her, if you don't come now and, you know, pray and then come, be divorced. And the woman says, okay, yeah, is that what you want? Okay, I'll go ahead and pray. And the woman goes ahead and prays. And this is something that's you know, done in the moment of that anger on both part, uh, by both parties. And then she's divorced. 
or they are divorced. But they don't want to be divorced. So they go to Dar al-Hikmatul Islami, the House of the Wisdom of Islam, this high institute that um, considers major issues of, uh, of a uh, religious nature. And the scholars there tell them, well, you know, that's what you did. You, you are divorced. You are separate now. Um, so Bedur Zaman Said Nursi uh, listens to them and then turns to the woman and asks her to recite uh, Surat Al-Fatiha. And of course, uh, those who uh, are Muslim here listening will know that Surat Al-Fatiha is a chapter of the Quran, the first chapter of the Quran that uh, one has to recite in each rak'ah, each section of uh, a prayer. You, you cannot pray without reciting Surat Al-Fatiha. The woman recites Surat Al-Fatiha, but it turns out that she doesn't know it properly and therefore her prayer was not valid. So Bediuzaman tells them, well, she says she prayed or she went through the motions of prayer, but her prayer was not valid, therefore you are not divorced. So he solves the problem. So he had this sharp intellect that, you know, of course this is a uh, in a little cute story, but you know, he, he, he could use his intellect in significantly more uh, serious matters too. So he was named Bedur Zaman as a result of his deep knowledge of the scholarly accomplishment uh, of the tradition of Islam, his sharp memory, right? And he was also a thinker, and this goes with being a scholar. But I want to emphasize that he was also a thinker or an intellectual in the modern sense of the, the, the word, uh, in the sense that he had a deep concern for society. The believers, Muslims, all human beings, and beyond that, the environment, animals, plants. He had deep compassion uh, for all living creatures. And he lived at a time when there were lots of troubles, right? This is end of 19th century, beginning of 20th century, end of the age of empires, lots of wars, lots of famines, lots of disease, um, you know, society disintegrating at many levels. So this was a very, very troublesome uh, period. And he worried about all of these and he wanted to come up with solutions to all of these. He wanted to help people. He had this sense of responsibility that we identify or, or uh, associate with the um, intellectual classes of the modern times, right? So a scholar would do this in the past and he did this as a scholar, but you know, from another angle, he, we, we need to put him in that category of an intellectual uh, too. He was a Gnostic. Um, his, his knowledge was not just book knowledge, it was internalized heart knowledge. Um, he lived what he preached. He lived a life of struggle and uh, abstinence and um, serious effort throughout his life, right? And this was because he had internalized that knowledge. He, he, he felt himself before God at all times. He, he, he felt the presence of being in the presence of his Lord at all times. And he was a saint. Now, this is obviously a you know, subjective matter that 
you know one can believe it in it or or not but we have many indications uh that that he was someone that god loved and favored at many levels and some of those favors in, involved include uh karamat miracles saintly miracles uh, so there are many of them so there are really strong indications that he was a saint of god too so he struggled his entire life to understand implement teach and uphold the message of the quran and the prophetic example this is really important especially the quran right the quran was really really central uh, to the to his life effort at some point he heard that um he heard as uh, lord gladstone the british prime minister is probably someone somebody else but he heard it as uh, lord gladstone having taken the quran in his hand uh, at the parliament and saying to the members of the of the parliament if uh, as long as we don't take this quran from their hands we won't be able to dominate the muslims we won't be able to uh, rule them uh, so he said that we will then we should try to you know take the quran from their hands and but there's among said nursi upon hearing this um um vowed to prove that quran is such a uh light that it cannot be taken away it cannot be extinguished and he spent his entire life trying to understand implement and also prove that the the quran is such a bright light that that cannot it cannot be extinguished and it's going to it has illuminated all centuries all hearts and it will continue to illuminate the the times the places the hearts uh, inshallah that's what he was he he uh, dedicated his life to and of course as part of as part of or as a consequence of his dedication to the quran he was dedicated to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam too uh, filled with the love of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam his unshakable certainty in the truths of faith provided a bastion of refuge and hope for Muslims in the late Ottoman Empire and Republican Turkey at times of calamitous defeats and moral collapse that sealed the end of the Ottoman Caliphate. Now, this is also you know, something to um, think about, to, to, to contemplate. Unshakable certainty in the truths of faith um you know when i said he was a, a great scholar i perhaps should have also mentioned that he was uh, he was not a scholar in islamic uh, sciences only so he wasn't an expert of tafsir hadith usul fiqh fiqh uh, logic balagha etc only but also especially in his 20s he had access to uh, books magazines and so on and so forth a library uh, about uh, modern sciences and he studied them too so he studied chemistry physics he actually wrote a treatise on uh, math or algebra uh, biology medicine so he he studied all of these uh, what we can call positive sciences um let's say at a you know college level right so he was able to enter into debates with uh, teachers of geography or uh, astronomy and so on and so forth at the at, you know high school teachers of these uh, disciplines so he 
you know, study all of those too. The problem though is, especially in the, you know, second half of the 19th century, especially in the Ottoman Empire, but elsewhere among uh, Muslims too, those who studied these sciences were um, sucked into a vortex of materialism that had evolved in the in 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 the European uh, cultural scene uh, in the late 18th, early to mid 19th centuries, and then was carried over to Muslim countries. So the intellectuals, those who studied these positive sciences in the Muslim lands tended to become materialist atheists tended to lose their faith um, you know some if they did not become atheists they they lost the, their certainty in the uh, realities of faith right so by the turn of the 20th century and especially in the republican era this trend was becoming generalized to the rest of the population, rest of the uh, Muslims, not only a you know small minority of intellectuals, but broader population, broader masses through public popular education. So as education at the elementary level was introduced, later made compulsory and so on and so forth, the textbooks, the teachers who taught those textbooks were the products of that late 19th century uh, trend uh, that moved into atheism. So this was a big danger, you know, for the broader Muslim population. Uh, say there are there there were say 13 million Muslims or 13 million people living in the Republic of Turkey around the time it was uh, you know founded. The goal of the rulers of the country was to make all of these uh, you know secular individuals, um, you know people who did not care about the rulings of religion, if not atheists, uh, you know, right, right away. So this was a big concern at the time for, uh, for believers, and was a big concern for Bedou Zaman Said Nursi too. And science came with big authority. It came with big authority because it was working. It was producing things uh, and it was giving power to those who studied it and who owned it so it was the british it was the french it was the americans who made the big uh, you know steel ships or uh, um, steel clad ships or machine guns and muslims in you know all over the world and this is not only muslims you know the chinese too other you know populations too when they met with that those machine guns, when they saw those uh, steam-powered black ships on the horizons, they were impressed. They wanted to have the same thing. And then when they looked what was going on, what they saw was that the the Europeans and later on the Americans uh, were strong because of their sciences. And although this was not a you know this was not something across the board many Muslim intellectuals came to associate uh, the, the um, scientific establishment and the ability to benefit from science with giving up on religion, right? So this was a big problem. 
And Badr Zaman Said Nursi, having studied the Islamic sciences, having studied the positive sciences, having studied the universe, having, having studied the reality out there, right, stood firm with a really, really strong uh, certainty, unshakable certainty in the truths of faith. And with his works and with his um, character and you know, very person, very standing, he provided a bastion of refuge. People could read his works and, and, and have answers to the seemingly um, unanswerable questions that this onslaught of, let's call it, European modernity was bringing to their doorsteps. So, of course, one individual cannot be responsible for such a tremendous accomplishment. There were lots of people who surrounded him, who uh, hand copied his works and passed them on, right? And we have to think about, you know, divine grace, the enabling grace of uh, the merciful uh, here. None of this could have happened uh, without that, right? But, right, God made Bedu Zaman Said Nursi the means for such a such a um, great blessing at the time he lived. Today, the treasure of knowledge that he left behind, the Risale Inur, continues to teach and inspire believers all around the world. Inshallah, uh, I'm going to record another video. I already have that in, in audio format, but inshallah, I will record it as, as video too. The Risale Inur was the collection of words. Uh, collection of works that Badr Zaman uh, Nursi authored. Uh, it's a collection of about 130 small uh, treatises. Some of them, you know, a couple of pages. Some of them, you know, 50, 60 uh, pages. But you know, all of them um, treatises with a single subject uh, inspired from the Quran. So in a sense, these are all uh, tafsir. Uh, exegesis or interpretations of the uh, Quran too, uh, and they they answer questions that come up frequently at our times in the modern times, and that appear to be challenging for uh, believers. In some cases, not only Muslims, but believers more broadly, uh, right? So, so the the existence of God is not only a problem or on, only a um, an issue for Muslims, it's an issue for Christians, it's an issue for Jews, it's an issue for anybody who believes in God, deists, right? So, um, it is something to be, uh, so this, these works, the Risali, these treatises, the Risali in our collection is something to be taken really seriously, not only by believers, but by everybody around the world, uh, mashallah. So, it's a treasure, it's a treasure. Uh, it inspired uh, believers around him. It started, as we will see, all in a, a village called uh, Barla uh, in in southwest Anatolia. Uh, but it continues to inspire people uh, in Turkey and through translations all around the world. It exists in uh, a complete Arabic translation. It exists in Russian, German, French, English. Uh, you know, there are always issues with translation, right? But one needs to be careful in, in, in reading and patient uh, in, in trying to understand, perhaps read more than once. And uh, there's always benefit in, in that, inshallah. So, Ustad Nursi was born to a peasant 
family in the village of Nurs in the Bitlis province of the Kurdish regions of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, we already mentioned some of this. Uh, he was of Kurdish origin. Uh, his parents uh, spoke the Kurdish language. The area he was born at the time was called uh, Kurdistan. Uh, but this was not a political uh, term as, you know, as it has become uh, today. It wasn't a politic, or rather, it wasn't a politicized term as it has become uh, today. Uh, his parents uh, were, you know, Kurdish. His village was uh, Kurdish, and he was born in the Ottoman Empire, and this was perfectly fine in an Ottoman uh, context. It's fine today too, uh, but today, uh, you know, as a result of the Kurds not having their own state and being uh, distributed between. Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Turkey, the issue is much uh, politicized. So while studying Bediüzzaman Said Nursi's life and, and, and trying to understand his ideas, we should, we should try to, uh, to um, isolate, right? Uh, isolate his presence, his personality from the politicized issues of uh, today, inshallah. So he was born in the village of Nurs in the Bitlis province. This is the city in Turkey uh, today of the Kurdish regions of the Ottoman Empire. It's a, a city in Southeast Turkey. According to some highly probable records, uh, his father, Sofi Mirza, who died in 1920, descended from the grandson of the messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Hassan, radiallahu through Abdul Qadir al-Jilani. So, uh, now, this is something that's impossible to prove uh, because being a descendant of the Prophet was something that brought benefits to people uh, in Muslim lands. Sometimes they were exempt from taxes, sometimes they had other benefits. So, uh, oftentimes people try to um, produce, let's say, uh, documents that were not necessarily accurate. Uh, and, however, you know, it's quite probable, right? Uh, we have some really serious indications that Badr Zaman Said Nursi was a descendant of uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on his father's side through Hassan radiallahu anh, Hassan radiallahu anh, the son of Ali radiallahu anh, the grandson of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from his uh, daughter Fatima radiallahu anha through Abdul Qadir al-Jilani. And Abdul Qadir al-Jilani, of course, is this great uh, Sufi master of the 12th century and his father his mother Abedouzama Said Nursi's mother Nure Hanum uh, descended from the other grandson of the Messenger of God Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Hussein radiallahu therefore he was connected to the prophetic lineage both as Hassani and Husseini that is both as a sheriff a descendant of Hassan radiallahu and as a Sayyid that is a descendant of Hussein radiallahu um, his mother and father were illiterate and poor. They were villagers. They lived in this really distant uh, village where you had to, uh, you know, go with, you know, with a donkey or walk. Right? There was no uh, communication. There was no transportation. It was a distant, distant uh, village. Uh, but the region was known for its uh, scholars. It was a region, you know, it was a region that um, where many scholars had uh, had been educated and had opened madrasas and were educating uh, students 
So it was a region where scholarship was really valued. His mother and father were illiterate and poor, but they were known for their piety and fear of God, taqwa, and they ensured that all of their children would study. So he had uh, several siblings, uh, older sisters, older brothers, and a younger brother, uh, and they all studied, mashallah. Uh, one of his sisters uh, was even known as, you know, as a really qualified uh, scholar at the time. So Ustad Nursi's uh, history of education is quite interesting. As we said, he had a photographic memory. He memorized whatever he read right away. A very sharp mind. But it's often difficult for a child like this to find a proper teacher. Not all teachers can satisfy the, the, the intellect of such a prodigy, right? So he had some adventures at the beginning. He went to a madrasa. He couldn't really get along with other kids there. In another place, he couldn't get along with the uh, teacher. Um, but he started studying early on. And at the age of nine, he left home. Right. So he started at home uh, with his brother. And at the age of nine, he left home to study in the local madrasas of what was then known as Kurdistan, as we explained. Receiving proper education proved to be challenging for him at the beginning. It was difficult to find a teacher who could satisfy the quick mind, photographic memory, and piercing intellect of this evidently extraordinary child. He eventually reached that fertile ground at the madrasa of Muhammad Jalali Hazrat. And this is a, a scholar who lived in the region, uh, 1851 to 1914, and had opened a madrasa in which is near uh, the, the city of Arwan in that area. Uh, today. Once Bedou Zaman reached, ended up in this madrasa, in the madrasa of uh, Muhammad Jalali Hazrat, he fast-tracked through the entire madrasa curriculum over a winter in 1892-1893. So if we accept his date of birth as, as the year he was born, as 1878, right, he was 14 to 15 years old at this time. So around 14 and 15, over a winter, he went through the entire madrasa cur curriculum, memorized many of the books that his peers studied. So they were studying, he memorized them, studied and memorized them, and received his first ijazah or certificate of knowledge and teaching approximately at the age of 15 from Muhammad Jalali Hazrat. Now, um, They, they looked into what was taught at the madrasas of this, uh, of this time, and there, there are about 90 or so books that he must have studied and memorized at this time. Uh, many of these are books of uh, what we call instrumental sciences of religion, like logic, language, grammar, uh, and so on and so forth. But some of them are you know, at a you know, higher level. At, at, at any rate, this was the entire madrasa curriculum. Normally, one goes through this um, curriculum in about you know, 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. He went through all of it in one winter, right? So this was a, this, this 
appears to have been a really, really extraordinary uh, period uh, for him. He was studying at the madrasa, but he had also um, started to go and spend nights in the shrine or tomb of a uh, 17th century scholar of Islam and also a poet, Ahmed Hani, a Kurdish poet who has a really important and famous uh, long story uh, and other scholarly works. Uh, and he appears to have been a saint of God too. And he would spend the nights in this tomb, in the shrine, and we learn from what other students who were curious about what is he doing there because you know it was a scary place people would not people would be scared to go into that shrine and stay there in, in, in even during the day he would spend his nights there so other students at the madrasa were curious and they would go try to understand what's going on and they would listen and they would hear um, from inside Badu Zaman uh, saying yes uh, my master yes my master yes my master so it appears that he was receiving instruction from somebody in this shrine right so the explanation we have for this is that Badr Zaman Said Nursi had wacy connections with uh, scholars of the past that of course needs to be explained and the term wacy uh, relates to the story of Wais al-Qarani, uh, who was most likely, or who is generally accepted to be the greatest member of the generation that followed uh, the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He was uh, from Yemen. He lived at the same time as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and wanted to visit him, but could not find the opportunity to go visit and uh, you know see him and received the blessing of becoming a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. So he was not a member of the companions. In rank, he comes after the companions. However, however, um, he had this connection in a spiritual realm with the Prophet ﷺ and had reached such a rank that the Prophet ﷺ advised Umar to find him and to ask for his dua. So the Prophet ﷺ advised Umar to ask Wais al Qarani to make dua, to pray for Umar. And the Prophet ﷺ is narrated to have also said that Wais al Qarani was not known among the people of the earth but was well known among the inhabitants of the heavens. So he had received the blessings of the Prophet ﷺ in a spiritual realm that does not qualify for him, uh, him to become a, a you know, member of the companions, but that had elevated him to that high rank. Um, so when somebody receives blessings uh, effusions from a saint of God, a prophet of God, a scholar of the past times who, who is not alive and present, but when somebody receives those blessings, that knowledge from you know such a person in a spiritual realm, 
in a um, in a context that's above and beyond time and space. We call that oasis. And it is most likely that at this time, uh, Badr Zaman Said Nursi had an oasis connection with Ahmed Hani, the uh, person in whose name the shrine, uh, uh, with whose name the shrine, this tomb was associated. And this will be something that we will see later in later on in uh, Ustad Nursi's life too. Uh, it's very likely that he had oasis connections with Imam Ghazali, because he was also uh, reading Imam Ghazali's Ihya Ulumuddin at this time and uh, withdrawing to the shrine and uh, performing abstinence uh, as taught by Imam Ghazali in the Ihya. Uh, also, very likely with Abdul Qadir Jilani, very likely with uh, Mawlana Jalalatun Rumi very likely with Imam Rabbani, and this is you know, really important, very likely that he had such oasis connections with Ali radiallahu anh, the uh, grandson of, uh, the, the, the uh, son-in-law and uh, cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, of course, once again, these are all subjective issues that uh, we cannot prove with uh, certainty, but the level of scholarship, the level of... Um, Gnosticism, the level of wisdom that and the, the, the level of dedication and blessing that we observe in Badr Zaman Said Nursi's life um, compel us to compel us to think that all of this is at least possible, at least within the rank uh, within the realm of uh, possibility. So, here in the madrasa of Muhammad Jalali Hazrat. Badr Zaman Said Nursi fast-tracked through the entire madrasa curriculum over a winter in 1892-93, memorized many of the books that his peers were studying, and received his first ijazah, ijazah or certificate of knowledge and teaching approximately at the age of 15 from Muhammad Jalali Hazrat. Now what is ijazah? Ijazah is when a scholar teaches a pupil, a student, and the student excels in his or her uh, studies, learns the subject, and then the scholar says, okay, I have learned this from my teacher so-and-so, who had learned it from his or her teacher so-and-so, who had learned it from so-and-so, 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 all the way to the Prophet wasallam. And then the scholar says, having learned this, through this chain of transmission, I am now authorizing this next person that I have taught uh, after having observed how he or she has studied and learned the, the subject. I'm authorizing this person to transmit it or to perform and transmit it. So Badr Zaman Sayyid Nursi had this general ijazah, general certificate of author authorization from Muhammad Jalali Hazrat to teach the uh, the entire madrasa uh, curriculum. So he he became a scholar at the time, at the age of 15 or so. And after he received his ijazah, he actually started to teach uh, at the madrasa of Muhammad Jalali Hazrat for a while. He, he stayed there for a while and taught other students too. Later, he would receive a second ijazah from Sheikh Fethullah al sirdi who died in 1899, another really great scholar of the, uh, of the time. 
And in both of these ijazas, Ustad Nursi is chain of knowledge. They, remember, we mentioned this chain of transmission. The scholar says, I learned from so-and-so, who learned from so-and-so, who learned from so-and-so, who learned from so-and-so, all the way to the Prophet right? So he had two ijazas that we know. And his chain of uh, knowledge or chain of transmission in both of these ijazas extend to Ali radiallahu anh, the son-in-law and the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, about whom the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that he was the gate of knowledge. So the ijaz of Bedr Zaman Sayyid Nursi or ijazas of Bedr Zaman Sayyid Nursi extend to the gate of knowledge, Ali radiallahu anh, the fourth caliph also, right? Um, and the fa uh, through Imam Ghazali. So that's also important because Imam Ghazali is you know, such an important uh, scholar who had such um, revolutionary, in a sense, revolutionary impact on the uh, scholarly and also spiritual traditions of Islam. So Imam Ghazali, as a result, was among the ustads, among the teachers of Bedu Zaman Said Nursi. And as you, as those who are watching this in, in video can see, uh, he died in 11, uh, 11. Uh, he was, um, he was a mujaddid of his time, meaning a renewer or reviver of, of his time. And the revival that he brought to Islam survived to this day. We are still benefiting from the revival that he, uh, as did the name of his book, Ihya al-Muddin, right? The revival of the religious sciences indicates we are still uh, benefiting from the revival that he uh, was blessed uh, to be the means for. All right, so this is, um, in a nutshell, a brief look at uh, the scholarly accomplishments of Bedu Zaman Said Nursi in his early years, but that's not the entire story. Uh, he was, he, uh, was not only a prodigy of the intellect, but he was a prodigy of the heart too. That's why we mentioned earlier on that he was a Gnostic, he was a saint of God. During his early years of study and travel among the madrasas of Kurdistan, this region where uh, Kurds primarily uh, inhabited in the Ottoman Empire, young Nursi also attracted the, or in, at, that, at that time we should call him Said, right? The young Said also attracted the attention of prominent Sufi masters. And reportedly, he received special blessings and spiritual insight from some of them, such as the famous Naqshbandi Sheikh Abdul Rahman al Taghi, uh, who died in 1886. Now, um, there's a, an interesting story about this too. Uh, obviously, uh, young Said or Bedou Zaman Said Nusi was very young at the time. But he lived in a village that was relatively close to uh, where where uh, you know Sheikh Abdul Rahman Al Taqi uh, lived, and apparently he visited uh, Sheikh Abdul Rahman Al Taqi. And the story goes that uh, Sheikh Abdul Rahman Al Taqi was one day sitting with his uh, disciples at his um, uh, zawiya, at his uh, lodge, and he gets up and walks and the village had a bridge he walks to the bridge and you know they those who are there like follow him but he goes very fast he they cannot catch up with him right away he goes very fast and when they reach near the uh, village they find out that 
Bedu Zaman Said, so this young Said was coming. So Abdurrahman Al-Takhi takes him, takes him to the lodge, takes him to his uh, private uh, room in the lodge, uh, closes the door and tells people not to disturb them. So they wait in, but a long time passes. So people waiting outside the room start to become concerned and eventually they, you know, can't help but enter the room. And when they enter the room, what they find out is that uh, Sheikh Abdurrahman Tahi was sitting on the floor and young this young child was standing in front of him with his hands uh, clasped on his uh, belly as though he was like in the in this um, prayer that's how uh, one stands in in prayer uh, that's an indication of you know respect he was standing in front of the sheikh and there was something happening like something he he, he was all um he had lost color, right? There were indications that something tremendous was happening uh, to him. And later this Sheikh Abdurrahman Tahi says that as this child will excel in uh, scholarship, right, the, with the intellect, he has also excelled in, in the spiritual path. Now, uh, this was a really important uh, Sufi Naqshbandi uh, Sheikh, but uh, Zaman Said Nursi has connections with other uh, Shuh, uh, other Sufi uh, masters from other Sufi orders uh, too, right? But we should clarify from the beginning that he was not a, uh, he, he did not transmit in any Sufi uh, chain. He was initiating uh, something else within the tradition. So he was not an innovator. Uh, he, he was not somebody who tried to or ended up leaving the tradition he remained within the tradition right but he was reviving the tradition by initiating new uh, ways of studying learning understanding and realizing that had its seeds its precedence at the time of the prophet and his companions Right? But he was not a Sufi. He did not uh, transmit in the Sufi chain. He said later on that he had the authorization to transmit in the chains of um, 12 major Sufi orders. Right? He could have done that. But that was not his task. Right? That was not his uh, mission in life. He, he did other things. And he, what he did is something that would could and would and should actually benefit uh, the practitioners of all Sufi orders. That's what he says uh, too. Like again, Imam Ghazali's Ihya, right? So anybody who takes Ihya and reads it will benefit uh, from it. There are some works uh, in the tradition, right? That that you read, you really benefit, but you have to read it with, in, with the, uh, under the guidance of somebody who knows what he or she is uh, doing if you tr attempt to understand these works on your own you may end up um, straying from the straight path you may misunderstand things you may uh, have gaps here and there that you may not be able to connect the dots right but a book like Ihya right there is no harm there, you, you can take it and read it and that, 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 
if you can study it with somebody, right, it's all the better. But you can take it and read it and you'll benefit, right? So some of the works that we find in the tradition are, are, are like that. Bedouzama Sayyid Nursi's works are like that too. You can just take it and study it and you'll benefit and there won't be harm. He is such a pedagogue, right, such a teacher uh, that he will take you by the hand with his works and he will teach you step by step. Um, so, however, as it should become clear upon studying Ustad Nursi's lifelong career and the Risale Nur, his mission and teachings encompass the essence of all major Sufi orders. So, 12 is usually the number that's given for the major Sufi orders. There are more than that, but these are the major ones, and others tend to branch out from these 12. Um, and we're not limited to one. So, his teachings, we should emphasize this again, encompassed the essence of all major Sufi orders, but we're not limited to one. Therefore, all of them can benefit uh, from uh, Bediouzama Said Nursi's works, and one can benefit from Bediouzama Said Nursi's works outside the, uh, outside the Sufi uh, context as well. Now, although Ustad Nursi never stopped learning, right, never stopped learning, um, he died in 1960, uh, later in his life he did not have books uh, with him, uh, after a point he had only his Quran, uh, he had uh, a book of the collection of the awrad, the litanies and prayers and supplications of uh, some of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, and the founders of uh, those, you know, major uh, Sufi orders called Majmu'at al-Ahzab. This was collated by the really important 19th century Sufi Naqshbandi Sheikh in the Ottoman Empire. After studying for about 10 years in several libraries and manuscript collect uh, collections, he had collated these uh, supplications, litanies, prayers, and put them together in a, a three-volume book called Majmu'at al-Ahzab, um, or Hizbs too, right? Like uh, selections from the Quran too. Uh, but Zaman Sa'id Nursi had that book with him and he would read it uh, from beginning to end. It's a really thick three-volume book, right? From beginning to end every uh, 15 days. Uh, he had his Quran, right? But he didn't have any other books uh, other than what he would author himself later on. Uh, after the mid-1920s, uh, we can say, uh, partly because, as we will see, he lived a life of exile and under under police scrutiny. He wouldn't. He wasn't allowed to have books, etc. And but he had memorized many of those books, and he would repeat them from memory all the time. Um, but he never stopped studying and learning, in the sense that the book that is to be read out there is not only the books uh, that are printed on paper. The entire cosmos is a book. So he, he continued to study the book of the universe and who knows, or God knows, uh, you know, what he experienced in the uh, spiritual realm in those periods too. So he never stopped learning. However, already by the time he received his ijazas, that is in his mid-teens, his knowledge as well as his ability to apply that knowledge to difficult scholarly questions or practical matters were unmatched. This extraordinary aptitude earned him the alias, 
Bediüzzaman, meaning the marvel of the age. Among the scholar circles, scholarly circles of the Ottoman Empire's eastern lands. So he first received this title uh, in this like Kurdish regions. Uh, he, after he received his ijazah, he would travel from city to city, preaching and entering into debates with the scholars of the, those uh, regions, right? And people started to call him Bedouzzaman, right? Later, when he traveled to Istanbul, which will happen at the end of 1907, this qualification would be acknowledged by world-renowned, world-renowned scholars of the time too. Scholars coming to Istanbul from, you know, Azhar, other, you know, Damascus, they too acknowledge that, yes, this, this, is, this is an extraordinary person, right? Um, to give an indication of Stadner's scholarly accomplishment, and I, I don't think that these will be sufficient to provide a proper indication, but just, you know, some, some bits of information to, you know, have an idea. He had memorized over 90 major books that were taught in the Ottoman madrasas along with the Quran, right? So those books that he memorized at the madrasa, later on he memorizes other books too, right? This is only what he memorized at the madrasa in his mid-teens. Later on he memorizes other uh, more uh, advanced books too. He had memorized like thousands of prophetic traditions when he was appointed as a member of this Dar al-Hakmet al-Islamiya, the House of the Wisdom of Islam, we will come to that point and give more detail about it, but this is after World War I, an institute uh, established in the Ottoman Empire, he was appointed as, a, as an expert in hadith, in prophetic traditions. Uh, he had also memorized, as I mentioned earlier, a major and really voluminous, a voluminous Arabic dictionary after the letter seen. He memorized the dictionary because he wanted to prepare a thesaurus, right? So you, when you have dictionaries, you have the word and then you have meanings attached to that uh, word. He came up with the idea that he would have meanings and list the words that relate to the, that meaning. And of course, today we call this a thesaurus, but at the time where he was, uh, this was not something known. Later. However, as he was memorizing the dictionary, he heard that a committee at uh, Azhar uh, University or Azhar Mosque in Egypt had already prepared uh, a work like this. So he, he therefore gave up memorizing the dictionary, right? So anyway, he was never asked a question in scholarly examinations, those debates, but he gave a sound and convincing answer. At some point when he goes to Istanbul, he wants to attract people's attention. Uh, he wants to do this because um, he is coming from these eastern lands of the empire, the Kurdish areas, uh, which was known to be backward compared to you know, other parts of the empire. And people did not take him very seriously. Uh, he, I, but he wanted to meet the Sultan, uh, Abdul Hamid II at the time, and receive some, um, some resources from the Sultan in order to build a Madrasa where he would teach uh, the Islamic scholarly sciences and modern sciences in uh, Turkish, Arabic, and Kurdish in the region. So he had this big uh, project for an educational institution, and he went to to um, Istanbul to promote this. But then he, people were not taking him seriously. So he actually uh, rented a room in a hotel and wrote 
on the uh, door here all questions are answered no question is asked so this was a um, he, he, he mainly dared the scholars of Istanbul to debate with him and then people started to come and ask questions and he would answer all questions that were asked and he would he would not ask any questions to these people right he was not challenging them right so he ne he was never asked a question in scholarly examinations but he gave a sound and convincing answer that's why they acknowledged that yes this is Bediüzzaman his knowledge was both kasbi i.e a reward for his determined effort to learn kasaba is to to, to, to um, accomplish right something kasbi a reward for his determined effort to learn and wahbi that is bestowed to him as a special gift from god wahaba is like to give as a gift right so he had both uh, both of these the inspired aspect of the 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 nature of his knowledge was evident in his ability to evaluate and resolve difficult questions right he was asked these questions sometimes he did not know the answer uh, in advance but he, he he had this like tremendous treasure of knowledge and at his uh, service so he would connect things and come up with answers and sometimes uh, this is called sunuhat right the 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 the, the uh, answers uh, or solutions were coming to his heart he was you know thinking and it, it was as though it was you know being given uh, to him wahbi it was being bestowed to him as a special gift uh, from god now uh, this inspired aspect of his knowledge was also confirmed in reliable dreams and inshallah we are uh, almost an hour here uh, let's read about that dream too and then we will stop this episode and continue uh, reading and reflecting upon uh, the life of Edu Zaman Said Nursi inshallah in, 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 a, in a follow so this was the dream he had it in 1891 shortly before going to Muhammad Jalali Hazrat's Madrasa in Dobez but and, and we should remember that until that point he had tried many not many but several madrasas several teachers and um he was not satisfied with any of them he was learning in the you know process like by the time he uh, attended Muhammad Jalali Hazrat's Madrasa in Dobezid it's evident that he had um learned arabic very well he was able to read all those madrasa books that are all in arabic and that's not his native language he learned arabic as a second language afterwards right but he was not satisfied he was not excelling the way um the way he could have excelled right his potential was not being fulfilled so shortly before going to the madrasa however he has this dream and only after this dream he you know finds uh, muhammad Jalali hazrat in the dream, the Messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, had told Nursi that he would be given knowledge on condition that he would abstain from asking questions to members of the Prophet's Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam community of followers, the Ummah, in, in way of testing their knowledge. That's why he never asked questions to people, right? So the longer story of the, or the, the, the longer version of the dream is that uh, it was the day of rising and end of times. Right, the hour had come and uh, Nursi finds himself in this you know, dreadful 
environment where you know everything is being demolished and uh, people are being resurrected right and he he wants to find a prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because as we know uh, if you find a prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and you can stay with him you are saved right that's the big, biggest day um, so he was searching for the Prophet وسلم, and then it comes to his mind and he says let me go to the bridge bridge is like Surat that it is a, a bridge between the plains of resurrection and the uh, you know, hell and paradise where everybody will cross right and the Prophet وسلم, will also cross so he says okay let me go and wait by the bridge uh, because it is certain that the Prophet وسلم, will come to that point so he goes uh, to the bridge and then people start to come and cross the bridge, but all prophets start to come and cross the bridge. So he meets all the prophets uh, in the process. And then there comes the Prophet وسلم, and the Prophet وسلم, tells him that he will be given the knowledge of the Quran. Now, he will be given knowledge on condition that he would not ask questions to members of the ummah members of the community of uh, believers of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and this relates to the tradition of debate because in the in the tradition of debate uh, scholars would ask each other challenging questions and try to out debate them right so the purpose of bedizaman said nursi's knowledge was not supposed to be challenging other scholars and out debating them right it was supposed to be realizing knowledge and helping others realize knowledge. So inshallah, we will stop here and continue um, reading about the life of Bedou Zaman Sayyid Nursi and reflecting upon, upon it in the next uh, episode. And inshallah, may I not have uh, made big mistakes, big, cause big trouble uh in in uh, recording this video uh, may it be of benefit inshallah and may this be the beginning of something good uh allahumma amin subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen al-fatiha